Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I just told our producer today that this is an out-of-the-box episode of Faith and Family. We're entitling this broadcast, Healing and the Awakening in America. And again, we're going through St. Luke's Gospel, looking at family Bible studies from this gospel. I'd like to start with just something that's going on with a lot of young couples in today's world. Many childless couples are fearful about the prospect of bringing children into our post-Christian world. Other couples with children are rightfully concerned about what kind of country their children will inherit. The speed at which our culture is rushing towards the cliff edge is giving everyone serious concern. Parents, parents-to-be, grandparents, and then on top of all that, the ongoing scandals in the church are almost too much to bear for concerned Catholics. Now, there have been a stream of books, blogs, and broadcasts over the past several years and some as recently as a few weeks old, some a few months, some a few years. But there's been blogs, books, and broadcasts on giving advice and how things both in the church and in the culture can be turned around. And some of these list uh, maybe two dozen things that need to be done to turn things around. Others might focus on one or two things personally, I'm just sharing my personal view, I'm not so sure that things will turn around as easily as some others seem so sure of. I'll be talking about this more in the next episode, but I'm going to take my turn. I'll say, yes, if things do turn around, and I do think they could, because an awakening, a renewal, a great awakening— is basically bringing Christian life back to something that is in a dying stage, so to speak. And the God who rose from the dead can bring life to a church and to a culture. I do believe that. I don't think it's going to happen every time, particularly as we read the Bible and get towards the end times. We're not guaranteed about that. But nonetheless, if things do turn around, I would expect the renewal would come from a very unexpected quarter that would absolutely confound both church and cultural experts. And so I'm going to wade into the discussion of how things might turn around in the United States of America. What could alter the course of our culture that our children and grandchildren will inherit? And I'd like to bring a bit of realism into this, and I think sometimes we forget how serious January 22, 1973 is, the Roe v. Wade decision, legalizing the murder of innocent babies in their mother's womb throughout all of the United States. And then you put on top of that June 26, 2015, our Supreme Court requiring that all states, whether they want to or not, must recognize same-sex marriage. See, the sanctity of life 
and the sanctity of marriage are those two things that reflect God and his goodness and his holiness. Now, no one, even a demon, can't attack God. They're powerless to do so. So the next best way that Satan can put his fangs, his venom, into the good things that God has created, the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. So I I think we're looking at a, a huge obstacle to turn things around. I don't think just some of the things suggested in the books, although they're good things, don't get me wrong, are inadequate to do what needs to be done. And if you've been following me in Faith and Family broadcast for any amount of time, you know, I kind of like to go back to the beginning and look how things were done and perhaps see how they're done differently today. And maybe by bringing some of those past things into the present, we can have the awakening we hope for and expect. And what would do that in today's world? Well, I'm going to suggest something that I've never read about as far as uh, all the people blogging and broadcasting and authoring books have suggested. I suggest that Christian healing could play a major role in the awakening of the United States of America and basically the church worldwide. You know, if you look at the Gospels, it's unmistakable that healing was a part of Jesus's ministry. And not just a tiny part, it was a huge part of Jesus's ministry. It's a huge part of the Gospels, and not only Jesus, that of the apostles. I'm just going to give you a quick summary of just two chapters here in the Gospel of Luke regarding healing. We look in Luke chapter 4, Jesus just had a confrontation in the synagogue in Capernaum, and nearby was Peter's house. And it says in verse 38 of chapter 4, Jesus arose, left the synagogue, and entered Simon's house, Simon Peter's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and served them. Right off the bat, in Peter's house. What is Peter's house? Peter's house is called the Catholic Church. This is prefiguring where the church will be. It will be in Peter's house. And I'm not talking about in his individual home, which was near the, the synagogue in Capernaum, which the archaeologists have discovered. No, it's talking about the Catholic Church. Healing will take place. And then you move on just a little bit in chapter 4, and we find some sunset healings done by Jesus. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had sickness or various diseases were brought to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So we find Peter's mother-in-law, all the sick, the word obviously started getting around rather quickly, were brought to Jesus. And then you go to chapter 5 and verse 12, we find a leper was cleansed, a, a man full of leprosy. This would be like cancerous-like sores all over his body. Uh, at that point, to be full of leprosy would be an incurable situation. And of course, Jews were for 
forbidden to touch a leper, and as lepers would come anywhere near someone who was pure and free of leprosy, he would have to shout, unclean, unclean, unclean. And of course, Jesus, being Jesus, he stretched out his hand and touched him and saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. So what was the result? Chapter 5 and verse 15. But so much more the report went abroad concerning him, and great multitudes gathered to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. Just like to say that one more time. Great multitudes gathered to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. Now, Christians of all stripes, Protestants, Catholics, all types of Catholics, all types of Protestants, like to see themselves as continuing the ministry of Jesus in their churches. And as far as I know, uh, all of these will want to continue the teaching of Jesus's sermons, the teachings of Jesus's life, to hear about Jesus. But Sometimes that second part of what Jesus did, I'm talking about the balance here, it was not just to hear the word from Jesus, but to hear and to be healed. It was both. And then we find a little later in the same chapter 5, there's a paralytic. This is a guy who was stretched out, and he, you know the story, it's quite a good one, is that he, you know, he couldn't walk in, he couldn't stand in line to be healed, so his friends went up to the roof and lowered them, <laughs> lowered the man down to Jesus. And it's interesting. It says in verse 20, and when he saw their faith, plural, uh, man, your sins are forgiven you. And, of course, then there's a controversy. You know, the scribes and Pharisees said, well, what are you doing forgiving sins? And Jesus says, well, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to be healed? And I'm just saying there was kind of a package deal here. Yes, Jesus was teaching truth, but he was also healing, and he was also forgiving. And we have forgiving, we have teaching today, but the healing part has kind of been thrown out of balance, so to speak. Now, I I know the big question, and actually I've had fun once or twice when I've had priest friends in here and faith and family as guests. I like to toss this question to them, and and it's the big question about healing. What is supposed to happen regarding this healing part of Jesus's ministry after the age of the apostles? Now, we do know that the apostles themselves were engaged in healing exactly like Jesus was, because we look in Acts chapter 5, It says that many signs and wonders were done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And more than ever, see, just like multitudes came to Jesus to hear and to be healed, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. This is how the Catholic Church, Peter's house, made progress in a pagan culture is that they were proclaiming the word without apology, without uh, uh, liberals trying to dilute the truth. No, they just proclaimed the truth 
so that people could hear, but also so that they could be healed. And multitudes were gathering, and it says the people gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, that's Jesus's ministry. That's the apostolic church. There's no question about that, but what happens after the apostles? Now, there are three general views of this, and as usual, for whatever reason, God has had me through a very unusual pilgrimage in that I not only have studied, but have experienced more than one of these perspectives. And so here we go. The first viewpoint of healing after the apostles. Now, I would compare the healing, if you could just visualize this with me in your mind a second, that there's a water spigot, like an outdoor water spigot where you attach your hose, okay? And the first perspective is the spigot is entirely shut off. In other words, you had this spigot flowing, life-giving water, healing miracles in the life of Jesus and his ministry and in the ministry of the apostles. But after the apostles, it's turned off. And it's very interesting that I dare say uh, even though it's unacknowledged, sometimes it's even acknowledged that this is perhaps the most popular Catholic position, that, that the healing miracles are over. And the exception, they would say, would be like Catholic hospitals and medical care. And that certainly is a continuation of Jesus's ministry, the apostles' healing ministry. But I think there's something more direct here. The, the, these were healings of people with what would be called catastrophic afflictions, terminal diseases, and it was a part of the forgiveness of sins, the proclamation of the Word of God, and the healing was a part of this ministry. Um, it's very interesting, and again, somebody may disagree with me. I'm saying this is generally the most popular position, that, okay, the, the spigot is turned off after the apostles, uh, and, and I'll say I, I held this position for a time, and I'll explain why in just a minute. But it's interesting to me that this most popular Catholic position is also the position of the rapture at any moment, folks, because there's a theological position called dispensationalism, and it's a very rigid uh, time segmenting of all of redemptive biblical history, and they basically segment the times of the apostles from other times. And that's how they come up with their rapture theory, which is we don't have time for today, but it's also why the very rigid dispensationalists, and thankfully many of them aren't consistent, but the rigid dispensationalists, the spigot is off, okay? Now, you might imagine, if we're on a seesaw here, if there's some that the spigot is off, well, then there's others that the spigot is always on, and it's going at full blast at all times and all places, and the only reason the healing isn't taking place is because of uh, a lack of faith of the people or whatever. And this would be the position of your TV faith healers, uh, some Pentecostals. Uh, I think uh, very often it's unfairly said that all Pentecostals are this way. Now, I was a youth pastor and associate pastor in a congregation, Protestant congregation, with charismatic Pentecostal 
uh, leanings. And it wasn't always on theology, but it was pretty close to it. And I remember one of the more difficult pastoral visits uh, I was assigned, basically, is that there was a family very involved in the church where the husband quit coming, just, just flat out quit coming, and it came to our attention, and he refused to come back. So they sent me to this home to investigate what was the reason and tried to encourage him to come back. And it seemed that um, the husband had an injured leg and was on crutches. And there was a healing service in this church. And by the way, I am for healing services. I'm My premise behind this broadcast is that there's a chunk of apostolic early Catholic history and Jesus's ministry that has fallen out that was part of a package that attracted great multitudes to faith in Christ. So in any case, I went to the house, and he had been in this healing service, and it was proclaimed that he was dramatically healed. They took his crutches away, and he walked back to the pew and all that. Well, it turned out when he got home, his leg really wasn't healed. He still needed crutches, and he was too embarrassed to come back to the church after the big healing miracle had been proclaimed. And, you know, this is a very difficult pastoral visit. How do you try to get somebody to come back, and, you know, the church was saying he was healed, and are you healed and then not healed, or something wrong with you, something wrong with the church, or whatever. So there are weaknesses to the always-on position, and I mentioned earlier that I had, for a time, been to the all-shut-off. In other words, a healing spigot was turned entirely off. The reason I adopted that is because of these TV healers and the always-on position. I saw you know, there was some phoniness to that, and it just didn't seem to match with reality. So I kind of lurched from all was on to all shut off. And I think there's a third way, a third way, which I will call penetrations. And this is what I mean by penetrations. You have to realize what Jesus was doing in his three-year ministry and what he is doing through the entire course of church history. Now, to explain what he did, I need to just back up a second and explain Jewish eschatology. And if you haven't heard my Luke 21 broadcast yet, you haven't perhaps heard the word eschatology. Eschatology is simply the study of the last things, the final things as you approach the end of the age. And in Jewish eschatology, there were two ages distinct. This present age, this present world, it runs a certain amount of time, and then it ends with the Messiah's return to earth. So there's a present age and a future age, okay? Now, what really kind of uh, shook things up with the coming of Jesus, he proclaimed that the kingdom of God was present with his person. And we also read the kingdom of God, both in scriptures and then explicitly in the catechism of the Catholic Church, that the Catholic Church is the beginning and progress of that kingdom. In other words, the kingdom age was future, And Jesus was like a man from the future who came into our world in the present. This present existence marred by sickness and death and satanic oppression and all kinds of decay of the human body. Now, 
with this understanding, and by the way, theologians call this the already and not yet. We already have in in our faith in Christ, in union with him, through our sacramental life, through the ministries of the church, we already have in him parts of the future. Not all of it yet. It's not always on. We're not in the future yet, but he has brought it into the present time, penetrating. The future we read about in Revelation 21, where Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes, death shall be no more, there shall not be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. But the future isn't here yet, we all know that. There still is mourning and crying and pain, but Jesus invaded the present. And and part of that proclamation is that he wants to demonstrate through the proclamation what faith in Christ leads to eternal life. It really does lead to eternal life. We will have a different but a bodily existence in the new heavens and the new earth, and there won't be any pain. There will be health. And so this is bringing it into the present. Now, at the time, I had kind of lurched from the number two position, the spigot's always on, okay? That, that's kind of like we're in the future age, and we're not quite there. The future age has invaded the present, but it's not fully here. And seeing some of that excesses and that poor man who had been proclaimed healing in the middle of a healing service, and it wasn't, and it went the other way, I basically, as an evangelical Presbyterian, decided to follow the example of the Presbyterians in Uganda. Now, you have to know a couple of things. First of all, about Presbyterians in general, in general, uh, definitely prefer the uh, spigot off regarding healing miracles, the ongoing gift of prophecy, gift of knowledge, tongues, and such like that. Generally, that's changed, and there are basically underground Presbyterians who believe that, and I'm talking about evangelical Presbyterians. But the Presbyterians, at the time I was undergoing this in Uganda, were living through an entirely different universe under the brutal reign of Idi Amin, who was this, they called him the butcher of Uganda. He killed somewhere between 300,000 and 500,000 people and tortured others. And he would send spies into churches. And then later, members of the congregation would disappear. Uh, Mostly were shot. Others were tortured. Uh, Some Christians were even fed to crocodiles. This 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 is tough stuff. And what happened is that the gift of prophecy was activated in the Presbyterian church in Uganda, and God would give a word of warning if any Amen soldiers were on the way to a worship service, and so they would disperse and <laughs> save their life. And you know, I was saying, you know, uh, maybe in America, our culture, you know, we have a lot of medical services. We don't need this quite as much, and our life isn't on the line. And maybe we're not forced to go back to the New Testament and recover a balance. And then, as a Catholic, uh, basically, I said that this this third perspective. And I don't know why. It's easy to say the spigot's always on, but you know, if you live in a real world, it's not. 
And it's easy to flip the other way and say it's all off, and that way you don't have to wrestle with the difficult questions, you know, why aren't more people healed or why aren't we seeing it in our churches today? But I was reading St. Augustine's City of God, and I got to the last part of the City of God, and I was just flipping through it looking for actually another topic, and I was absolutely astonished that St. Augustine had gone through what I went through. He was the, uh, the spigots closed. Uh, he generally believed in the healing miracles during the days of the apostles, but in his day, they were off until a couple of things happened. Uh, St. Ambrose, the bishop, had a dream that there were some remains of two martyrs nearby, and he went and found them as a result of that dream. And as a result of bringing the martyr's remains, uh, there was a blind man restored to sight in the presence of St. Augustine, in the presence of the emperor, and the presence of a great multitude. Now, honestly, if this wasn't St. Augustine writing this in the City of God, which I consider one of the best books ever written, I mean like ever, I wouldn't believe it. I would say, no, this is too much. And in the same city— um, they brought, where St. Augustine was bishop, they brought the remains, some remains, of the martyr St. Stephen. And lo and behold, a woman with uh, terminal breast cancer uh, asked the bishop, uh, carrying the relics and uh, to pray for her or whatever, and, and the flowers that were with the relics of St. Stephen, the martyr, were given to the woman. She put them on her eyes. Um, I've got my stories mixed up here. This is the blind woman, and her sight, a blind woman, her sight was restored. The same thing happened to a woman who uh, basically had breast cancer, and um, there were people who had passed away who put their clothing on the relics of St. Stephen, brought them back to the house, and these people were restored to life. Now, Either St. Augustine is some Pentecostal nutcase, TV healer, or we're missing something. Missing something that could bring multitudes into the church. Multitudes into the church. And how would this work today? Well, I'm thinking in Florida, there is a group that have basically researched and discovered the locations of the Florida martyrs. You can Google EWTN Martyrs of La Florida and see what went on. What about having a Catholic mass and healing service and the location of the martyrs of La Florida? Be interesting, wouldn't it? In any case, I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 235 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.